Hey everybody, before we get to this episode, I just wanted to let you know that we recorded this one way before the pandemic, back in December 2019 or 100 years ago, at least it feels that way. We wanted to know how COVID has affected our guests' work, so we did a follow-up interview with Adrian a few weeks back, and we've tacked that on to the end of this episode as a bit of bonus content. So when you get to the end, stay tuned to hear about making video games in a pandemic. Enjoy the episode. From the University of Alberta Alumni Association, it's What the Job. I'm Matt Ray. And so when you talk to a lot of students, like sometimes you can have the most talented artists out there, but if they can't work well within a team environment, if they can't follow direction, if they can't, if their egos are just too big, it's actually not worth the hassle. Adrian Cho is our guest on this episode of What the Job. He is an outsource and vendor manager at 343 Industries, the Microsoft studio responsible for the Halo video games. Adrian talks about his career journey from engineer to industrial artist to working for Bioware and finally Microsoft, what it's like to make AAA video games, and why soft skills get you ahead. What the Job is made possible with the support of our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Did you know that through the TD Insurance Mellish Monarchs program, University of Alberta alumni are entitled to preferred rates on car, home, condo, and renter's insurance? Save even more by bundling your car and home insurance. To learn more about how you can save, please visit tdinsurance.com slash alumni. So what's your name and what's your job? Hi, uh, my name's Adrian Cho. I am currently the outsource and vendor manager at 343 Industries. It's a little studio that uh, is owned by Microsoft down in Redmond, Washington, USA. And what do you do for that job? What's, uh, what's your day-to-day uh, I uh, So we make video games, uh, specifically the Halo franchise. And what I do is work with external teams. I find uh, outsourcing partners to help us make our video game. And I also actually help uh, fill in a lot of contractor roles as well. So bringing in new talent, I visit a lot of schools to try to find up-and-coming superstars. So you go out, you go out to find people. Like, yeah, I do. <laughs> what, what does that look like? Like, how do you figure that out? Uh I had thought about that. Um, It's cool. We start off with, um, we actually did a little grassroots program. Uh, So Microsoft actually has an official internship program, uh, but Microsoft as a whole uh, is really focused on more programming. You know, you think of Windows and Excel and Word uh, and Xbox, which is the organization I'm with. um, We, you know, we focus on video games and what we found was uh, we needed a way to actually bring in more young artistic talent. And so we actually went through a list of the top schools in the States and um, started to have conversations with them a few years ago and then actually went and visited them, talked to the students, talked to the staff, understand their curriculum, and then uh, and then within our, our organization found ways to create opportunities for students. And it, part of it is it's a two-way streak. I don't want to just hire students. We really want to give back to the school. So we try to find ways to say, hey, if you're a student, what do you want to learn from the industry? Like, what are what are the topics that are interesting to them? And then we find specialists in our field and say, hey, like, we line them up. We do AMAs. Um, so it's a really kind of rewarding job, like, from finding schools, identifying students, uh, giving them talks to say, hey, it's going to be cool <laughs> when you graduate. You know, you're, you're going to have jobs. And also finding opportunities within our teams to hire them in and give them experience. And so that's a really, I don't know, it's a really 
something I didn't really expect to do necessarily in my career, but it's really rewarding. Yeah. There's, there's so many questions I have about like making a video game and what goes in that. But yeah. before we do, I want to talk a little bit about your career journey. So can you talk about your career path in video games, sort of how you got there and where you went from when you started? Yeah, uh, this is super interesting because this is not a prescription of like, hey, if you do these five steps, you'll end right. up here. I look back and it's a lot of, um, my first instinct is it was actually a lot of luck. I didn't have a clear direction. Um, I'm going to go back when I was in high school. Um, I'm a first-gen Canadian-born Chinese. And so Chinese parents always want their kids to be doctors or lawyers. They don't really know why, but there's like, be, be, <laughs> be a professional. Like, don't, <laughs> don't be a bum. <laughs> um, and so I actually had a, I had a really good upbringing in art when I was a kid up in junior high and high school. But at high school, I actually had to make a choice. And so I ended up choosing engineering because that seemed like kind of a cool thing to do. I really didn't know much about it. And so I finished my uh, Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering a few years ago <laughs> at the U of A. Um, and I remember, I think one of the first courses I took were in a, in a theater, maybe it was Tory Lecture Hall, if it's still around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they did, they did this trick. You know, it was a filled class. And in fact, it was like one of the biggest classes where you, you, there's two courses, like basically you couldn't fill everyone from the first year. So they would say, take a look to your left, take, take a look to your right, you, you know, like, they're like only one of you will actually make it to graduation, right? And that, and so it was kind of like, I remember, and that was like you know in September, and I remember I was like I'm not going to be a statistic, I'm going to make it through this bloody program, and I was a little bit stubborn about it, and and it was true. Like by the time we made it to the fourth year, like a lot of people did drop out. I think by third year, I kind of realized that this wasn't exactly something I really loved, but I also didn't really know what else to, that I, I would do, and I, and I kind of wanted to see it through, so I kind of believed in like. I don't know. Maybe if I if I don't finish it, maybe there's something really amazing at the end. And so I went through. And I actually worked for a few years uh, at a local firm here, and it was great. It was it was, um, and I actually, uh, cab was it cab. They helped. There was a, a student services. They helped. Uh, um, caps. Yeah. Yeah. The career service. We still we still partner with career services yeah. for this podcast. So. so when I graduated, it was actually a little bit hard to find work. Um, Believe it or not, in engineering, yeah. Wow. And Caps actually did really great. They, um, they, they, they gave me some resources and services, and they actually found employers, and they, they had some government programs, and they got me kind of like I mean, kind of like a postgraduate in internship. And I found a mentor, and he took me in and took me on his wings, and it was great. Like I wasn't stuck in a firm. It was just a, like it was me and my boss, and I learned a lot. And uh, but after two years, I think I realized like that gut feeling I had almost the third year in school, I was like, this is not really quite for me. And I was really super worried about disappointing my parents. <laughs> and so it was, uh, for, for, as an Asian like kid growing up, that was a big thing. I was like, oh, like I didn't want to like, you know, disappoint them. So um, I told them, I was like, hey, I did this. I, I did the degree. I worked for two years and I'm not happy. I want to change. So then um, with... And they said, yeah, like, you know, you should go do something that you're really happy about. And so I went back to the arts. And what I found was an industrial design program at the U of A. And it was kind of cool because I could take my mechanical engineering degree, uh, leverage that, but bring in some of the art stuff. And so when I look at it, I think when I went to engineering, I thought I'd be making the Batmobile or something when I graduated. <laughs> and I realized, like, oh, no, that's not really, like, you actually make, like, real machines. <laughs> Industrial design was actually more. You'd you be making the, the Batmobile. Bat yeah, you know, and it doesn't have to fly. It just has to look really cool and look like it flies. And so I spent a few years there. Um, it was a really awesome program. And, and through that, I actually 
I think I understood. I I got integrated with the, the community a bit more. I, I mean, I I I got involved with the works. Um, I had some really good mentors, and so it was a really cool arts community, and it opened my eyes to, in a different way how I can kind of give back. Uh, I had some. I mean, throughout throughout my life, not just career, I've always felt very fortunate to have really good mentors to bring me in like whether it's my old art teacher in high school or my engineering boss and then in design um uh i there was these guys that actually graduated from the the u of a design school in the 90s and they started off a company called pure design and they actually had another design company before that i forgot that and so they were off they were kind of like they had their own shop and then i was uh i was able to kind of help them out with some new computer assisted design you know drawing stuff for my engineering and so through all of that was um making connections but also um and when i say the luck part was there's a lot of doors that are opening for me i kind of believe in i think joseph campbell said you know like if you follow your heart or is it follow your bliss and the doors will open for you and you kind of have have a bit of faith in that, and and kind of all worked out that way. And so when I was working through pure design, doing furniture design um, on the side as I'm doing my grad studies, um, there was a connection there that ended up at Bioware. And oh, I was also hustling on weekends because <laughs> uh, sometimes the grad school money wasn't enough to pay for <laughs> you yeah, know sometimes. tuition and everything. So I'd work at I think it was called. Um, EB Games or GameSpot, mm-hmm. and so I would work there on weekends, have a little cash on hand to go, you know, drinking and whatnot. And there's a local video game company called Bioware, and so those guys would used to come into the shop. And so one day, you know, my manager said, "Hey, like you should really show them your stuff, right?" And so you know, I brought my, you know, I brought my drawings, and they looked at it, and they're like, "Oh, this is really cool." And they're like, "Hey, you should like, why don't you come, you know, work for us? Like, why don't you?" Just stop school and I'm like oh I was like so going back to the parents part I was like no I think I gotta finish this degree first but you know let me do that and so I finished my degree and then I applied and and then I got in and honestly I felt like when I look back at all the history of those things there wasn't it wasn't like a trade it wasn't like go go learn plumbing go do dent like you know and get this certificate and I can go do it it was a really it was a really, really unique path. It was scary at times, um, but I also felt I had a lot of help and support, and that was really great. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And now I look back, I think it's been it's going to be about sixteen years in this career. Every day and every year that goes by, I am so grateful. I would not have thought that this was going to be how long I worked to making video games. I always, I always thought video games were just made in Japan. And, you know, like, and so to do this um, and to work with super creative people has been like super happy. And all of that, there's just a really kind of unique path. And I think the thing that I always tell most kids is like, hey, like, have, um, have faith in your abilities. I know it's super tricky when like you're graduating and you're unsure and you feel judged, you know, and you're like, oh, I don't know if it, like, be sure of yourself, but also like be an awesome person. It'll work out. Like, uh, I really do believe that. Yeah, it's interesting because you talk about luck a lot. There's no 
set direction, right? Like you didn't, for getting into video games, it wasn't like you do this thing, you do this thing. This is the path to video games, the ultimate path, but rather there's a lot of luck. But it also seems like you were paying attention to opportunities and you took advantage of them when they came up. Yeah. Or at least you had people who were steering you in the direction to take advantage of I those think that's, I have to take some responsibility too in saying, hey, like even though presented with many options, hopefully I, I, I made the right calls at the right time. And so that's, and that, I mean, life I think is, a lot of times there's it's timing sometimes you can have everything set up properly but maybe the timing didn't work out and that's out of your control but when an opportunity does come around and you've got all your paper you got your degrees and you got your experience you know use that to your advantage when that happens um yeah what was the first game you worked on at bioware um technically this game called never winter nights oh yeah yeah and i made a some kind of pirate DLC pack and made a parrot. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, they hired me in and, and um, I think I was a little bit ambitious. I applied for a job that was actually way higher than um, <laughs> I probably had experience for it. I didn't know. And so they're like, hey, you seem like an, you seem like an interesting person. So we'll, we'll bring you in. And they brought me as a tech artist. And part of my job was because of my background in both engineering and industrial design was I can kind of marry between, I can walk between two different worlds. I can walk between the technical part and be efficient and debug, but also have an artistic understanding. And that's really kind of defined my particular career path. I don't think it's necessarily the same for everyone, but it was, again, taking those strengths. I never look back at like my, I'm really grateful for my engineering degree because it taught me to problem solve. My industrial design degree helped me to refine that but also just be a lot more creative and so that was just kind of like chocolate and peanut butter together so then i ended up at um i ended up at working on mass effect um and that was really great and then um I'm trying to remember what it, i was probably like the i think i was a lead technical artist there and then for mass effect 2 i, I slightly changed roles and i think i was more on kind of like an art producer i did a little bit of outsourcing then and then after I shipped Mass Effect 2, um, Microsoft rang me up. Hmm. And so at that time, we kind of knew we were making a trilogy for Mass Effect. And I, I love the team. I, I love working in Edmonton. I love the people that you, you, know, you work with every day. And so I wasn't really looking to, to go anywhere. Um, but Microsoft said, hey, like, we think we've got a role for you. Why don't you come down, fly down for a day? check it out and I was like that's fair and they, they actually pinged me while I was working on Mass Effect and, I, and this is just me personally I don't I do not lead projects halfway through I don't think it's fair to, to the people that you commit to the games that we make take about two to three years to make mm -hmm. sometimes so it's like it's kind of crappy to lead partway and abandon your team but once I finished Mass Effect 2 and it was like it was great it was received well um, and they say hey why don't you come fly down so I flew down and I spent a day there and and it, so it did, it actually felt like a video game. Uh, <laughs> so the interview was the full day and you kind of go through, um, you go through the minions and then you have a mid-level boss at lunch and then you go through some more interviews. And then I went to the final, um, I had the final boss, or my final interviewer. So at Microsoft, they call him an ASAP. And if you finish that interview, it's usually pretty good. And um, there's a girl, there's a lady named Kiki Wolfkill and she would be my- Wolfkill was the boss? Yeah, and she's super awesome. And I think what opened my eyes was after speaking with Kiki was I think I want to, um, I'd like to work with them. And the, and the reasons were they had assembled a dream team of creative artists that I've, I've from the side, have always um, admired. And here they've assembled this team and they asked me to come join them. And so then I looked at the opportunity and I was like, oh my God, I, can't, I don't want to pass this up. And I, I actually didn't really feel worthy either. <laughs> 
but I was like, I, I, if I pass up this opportunity, I might be kicking myself. So um, after the final boss interview, <laughs> I kind of made up my mind and I said, yeah, I think I'm going to you know, take that chance. And it's coming up to about 10 years now and time has flown by really quickly. And so I went there and the funny thing was they, they wouldn't even tell me what game I was working on. They were so secretive. Turned out it was Halo 4 and it was a franchise. I, so I really love science fiction. And so again, like in our industry, it's rare to work in one specific genre for your entire career. And so I feel actually very lucky to, like, uh, I love Star Wars. And as a kid, it blew my mind. That actually got me into art. And so I think it has to be your job, your sorry, your career, whatever you do has to be rewarding. And it has to be some joy and pleasure from that. And so once I got to, to downtown Seattle and Redmond, worked on Halo 4, Halo 5, and now I'm working on Halo Infinite. It's funny because you've worked on some seminal games. I mean, Mass Effect, um, Halo, um, I think you had mentioned Dragon Age Origins before. Yeah, oh yeah, somewhere in there. <laughs> I mean, I know some of those are Bioware games, but like if you think about people who played games in the early 2000s um, and then like in the teens and lately, those are some heavy hitters. Those aren't just like yeah. small projects. So what does it take to work on a huge like, you know, AAA game like that? How, m how many people work on like a Halo game, for example? Ooh. Good question. Um, the industry's changed. Uh, I think back at Bioware, a big team would be about 200, maybe just slightly under 300. And there's a magical number. As soon as you get out over 75, there's something that happens. 75, you can have one leader and communication can be very clear about what you want to build and direction. You go above 75 and you actually have to spend a lot more people in mid-management to help produce and get all like just have clear communication and you, there's a, a really interesting growing pain at about up to about 125 once you get past 125 it's a little bit easier but that's the transition between a small team and or mid-sized team to, to a large team what it takes to make a modern game now is and part of my job is um, without spilling too much trade secrets we have hundreds of people and not just in our studios in Redmond we have hundreds of people in North America, in other cities, and I get I part of my job is to travel and find other teams. So um, some of them aren't announced, but like I travel to, to different continents, and we have sometimes a pocket of a team of thirty, here, like you know, somewhere in India or somewhere in Asia or somewhere in Russia or somewhere in Brazil or South America, and so that's been really rewarding too, like just to see um, to break this idea that it has to be done in the studio, like the the it's just. The, how we make games now is become very specialized. So if you rewind back to Bioware, you'd have one person back in the day, like they would make the level, they would make the art and design and make all, you know, everything. And now we have, it's not uncommon to have one person just make rocks for three years. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have another person make trees. <laughs> and then you have, you know, another person make clouds and stuff. So it's become very highly specialized skill sets. Very different. And the cool thing is though, and looking back, um, when I started at Bioware, there was no right way to get in there. So once we got there, you know, there's a bit of imposter syndrome. Like, oh, I don't know, like, should I be here? And you find out, like, so that the designers had literature degrees. Uh, the artists uh, had um, commercial art degrees. And that was really cool to see because everyone, um, they found a way with their skill sets to go into this still emerging field. Now it's interesting because you can get a degree. You can get a Bachelor of Arts or BFA or Bachelor of Science specifically in game art or game production or game programming or game production. So it's it's interesting, and it's interesting to be part of that and also just be aware of, like, 
how how education has to change to like the industry is huge. It, it, uh, the video game industry eclipses the, the movie industry. It's mm-hmm. something that, you know, and I have a hard time telling my, my, I think my parents still don't really fully understand what I do, but it's really, it's really good to just explain the analogy to the film industry. Cause I think they can kind of wrap their head around that and how movies are made. And I say, Hey, like when they make a movie, someone has to write a script, there's a director. And then there's, um, you know, the person who the costume designer and people make the sets and there's people who make VFX we do all of that, but digitally in a, in a virtual world. And then I think my mom can kind of wrap her head a bit around that. And I'm and I'm like, hey, yeah, I'm the person who then helps find talent to help build some of those sets or build those costumes. Have you noticed that because video games, the industry has just blown up over the last like 15, 20 years. And as, as you said, has eclipsed film as a sort of um, how much money it makes. Has, has that been noticeable to you as you've gone along in your journey? Have you been like, wow, this industry is a lot bigger than when I started? Personally, I actually, I, like, I think you're always aware of it, but it doesn't really have a, I don't think it affects me like day to day. I, I, to be honest, I'm just grateful to have a job sometimes. It's, it's been a kind of a crazy ride. So I'm always like, hey, if, I always look at it this way. If the industry, if there's a bubble, I'm just a burst, I feel very fulfilled. I'm like, that was an amazing ride. <laughs> I didn't expect to be able to like, do all the things I've done. Uh, but I think th- that trajectory is still going. I don't know what happens. And in, in the video game industry, they actually had a pretty big crash in the, the, the early 80s. So it could happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm kind of constantly aware of that. I'm not expecting to retire. I don't know what um, a retiree of the video game industry looks like and what they do and how people get out. We're, I think we're starting to get there. We're starting to see people who, who you know, the people who started in the 60s and 70s, you know, a lot of people actually retired fairly early. But like, what is a 70-year-old yeah, video game retiree looks like. What do they do? What is what is the what is their life afterwards? Right. Um, yeah, the person who made Pac Man. What are they doing <laughs> now? That, that's interesting, though. And I mean, it's also an industry that's always evolving, but they all are. You talk about like leaving it and what it be. I think that you've also shown how the skills you pick up elsewhere through your education or through your different experiences have transferred over to video games. And likewise, I would think those skills would have to transfer out. Even just thinking about the massive logistics involved in making these giant games, those mm-hmm. kinds of skills must must work with a whole bunch of other companies yeah. as well. You know what's interesting though? Like, there's I, I look at hard skills and soft skills. Hard skills are the ones like, hey, like, do you know how to do a formula in Excel or blow like solve some kind of like quadratic equation? Like, can you can you code? Can you do this? Soft skills, I think, are actually one of the most important things for people to learn and. Um, can't swear on this podcast, right? You can. Nate Buck okay. started it. <laughs> Not respect of any of my employers in the past, but like personally, like what I, we have kind of an like no assholes policy, right? Because, um, and so when I talk to a lot of students, like sometimes you can have the most talented artists out there, but if they can't work well within a team environment, if they can't follow direction, if they can't, if their egos are just too big, it's actually not worth the hassle. And so that's, I think that's a really important part. Cause I think sometimes I think I, I go, I go back when I was graduating and I was teeing here. And I think there was a lot of, definitely a lot of uncertainty when kids are about to like enter the workforce. Cause like up to that point, four years of really comfort, like you're in school, you have to worry about your, you got your student loans, you know, all you have to do is like, you know, finish your classes, study, you know, get your projects done. And then when the real world starts creeping in, I think I, I personally had a lot of questions and doubts about my skill sets. What I sh- what I would have loved to have someone tell me is like, hey, don't worry about it. that stuff. Gets you your foot in the door. The other part is you have to learn on the job. 
And honestly, so when an employer takes you on, they are actually, my perspective on things is like, you're, you're not, you're, they're investing in you for at least six to nine months. <laughs> um, you know, if, you, if you're, if you're, I won't say profitable, if you're actually efficient <laughs> in six months, that's amazing. But most of the time it takes quite a lot of time to learn how any company does things like from, you know, the structure, how they want to, for you to fill out the forms, whatever it is. Uh, to be a productive employee. And I think soft skills are actually one of the things that we don't really talk about as much, but like it is a very important skill set to have uh, because you have to be adaptable. Once you get like once you get your foot in the door, that degree gets you there, but then it's up to you to then show up, learn uh, whatever the culture is in your particular company or job is, and then go with it. And I think the people who really do thrive over like a career over a longer time is the ones who, who are, who have those soft skills, who are self-aware, aware of their environments, where when they screw up, take responsibility. Um, I think when I was younger, I, I didn't want to admit making mistakes because you just want to put up your, your, your defense shields up. Um, the older I get, it's actually more, I respect people a lot more when they own up to the mistakes because you start realizing we make them all the time. Can't be perfect. But it's how you deal with it when you when you screw up, and that's you know um, it's a good soft skill I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, and likewise, I think we've talked to uh, an executive coach who teaches um, leadership, mm-hmm. and she talked about how the thing that people one of the things people look for most in a boss is uh, humility and a willingness to admit admit their faults, admit when they make mistakes. And I think that's important. It sets a culture of saying like, it's okay to make mistakes because we're going to fix them. We're going to identify them and we'll move on and we'll grow. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask you, just a little, some more video game stuff. Here. Of course. Do you play the games that you make or are you like oh i've been i've been master chief drawing for so long now i can't look at him <laughs> that's a good question um there's multiple ways to answer that uh, my upfront answer is once i start to make games i actually didn't play them as much as i would have when i was a kid i mean i mean obviously we're like you, you change like your how you spend your time um i think also once you see behind the, like the wizard of oz once you, once you see the, you know, behind the curtains and how the sausage mm-hmm. is made. Sometimes the mystery is a little bit removed. So I don't think I actually see games in the same way because when I do even play a game that I didn't make, I'm actually looking at and analyzing and breaking down. It's like, how do they do that, right? I'm not enjoying the... Exp- it's really hard for me to kind of like peel back and to say how, like enjoy the experience as is. But that being said, when we when we make our games too, it's actually really important for us to play the game. So a lot of times, actually, you play the game so many times during development that by the time it releases, actually, I sometimes don't play it all the way yet mm-hmm. because you've seen it and I think it's hard to take away for me I mean over the years it's gone a little bit easier take away some of the emotion because sometimes when you're forming something and you spend three years making it there's a lot of like things that it could have been right and then the final product what we have to keep in mind is is has been filtered and edited and you know made super efficient to the the audience the customer the end user they don't know all the the trials and tribulations, all the, the cuts. Sometimes it hurts, like when you have to like, you know, it's like we don't have time to make this or this level doesn't make sense in the, in the narrative overall. And so it is actually hard to have that those clean eyes to see the product as is. But then you also have to kind of, um, one of the most rewarding things is actually interacting with fans. And we've been, uh, the past few years, at least for, for where I work, is actually really important to listen to players, to understand like the game that we're making for them, what do they want, and have that understanding of like what are the things that, the joy that they get from it. And so we play the game every day. We have a playtest lab 
And so we, I think when we talk about, so a lot of people actually assume when I when they say I work in video games, they think I play games for like eight to 10 hours a day. I was like, no, <laughs> but we do take about half hour to an hour every day to play tests. And we want to, and the reason why we do that is because um, you have hundreds of people working on something. And I talked about how it's really hard to coordinate and get people onto a, I don't want to say a singular vision, but at least in a general direction. And so you have artists making really cool content. You have designers uh, trying to make really good gameplay aspects. You have programmers kind of make all that stuff happen. And so you have hundreds of people making content. And so you have to play the game to see how all of that interacts with each other. And if you're like, let's say you're an artist who wants to get into video games, what, what do you think are some things that you could do to try to uh, enter that field? Yeah. So video games is interesting. Like, again, when I was in school, there was no clear path. There is so many resources for people now. And um, even, um, I think even when I was here, there's like summer courses if you're like in elementary or, or junior high for people to start uh, programming courses. But the fundamentals actually still, you kind of have to have your fundamentals. So if you're interested in art, you know, make sure your art fundamentals are good. If you're interested in programming, you know, you got to do your math skills and all that stuff and obviously programming. Um, the thing that the big change in the past few years is there used to be this barrier where the tools that we made to use to make video games was behind kind of like closed doors. You had to be in the company to use those tools. It has been democratized now. So you can be in elementary, you can download Unreal or um, Unity, you know, like elementary kids can do it. They can start making the game. So what they've done is remove that barrier. And which I think in a few years is it's going to evolve the industry because you're going to have kids, you know, spending their 10,000 hours at a very early age being super familiar with working with the tools we have. And then they're going to evolve. They're going to, by the time they get to their, their 20s, they're going to think of things that my old <laughs> my old brain probably wouldn't think of. So um, my, my advice for kids or anyone who's interested in the field is there, there's actually a lot of online resources now. Um, and I work more so with the art art side but like there's tons of art art forums and there's a, a beautiful online community that's really supportive i um i always encourage people go put your art up there get feedback be brave like you'll, you'll, you know if you're starting off you'll get trashed a bit but you'll learn from that yeah you know? yeah and then i think having just like you know taking your usual courses like do do a bfa like learn 3d art like learn 3d modeling programs mm. yeah so, if, you're, if you're already graduated, like if you're a podcast host who, <laughs> who wants to write the next great video game. Um, again, like this very interesting thing that happened, that evolved in the past few years is we are more in tune with our fans and end users and it is not uncommon. So I'm going to use, uh, we, we actually have a lot of pro players on for Halo. It's just because uh, like there's for Halo, there's like you can play the campaign, the story mode, but there's. Also, competitively, where people just they super cool. I didn't know this, and you know, until I started working there, people um, across the world will spend eight to ten hours a day playing the game, super competitively. And then every few weeks or months, they they uh, they have these tournaments, and then there's prizes and purses, and they sometimes can go up to millions of dollars. Wow! And uh, so I'm using a, a, a pro. So then a lot of times we've actually hired people who are expert players to actually help with our design. They give feedback because they're like, hey, when you design this level, um, it makes it, it, this is a cheat spot or something. And so that's actually one way. And so just the fact that we are engaging with our fans a lot more creates that dialogue. So whether it's through Twitter or Instagram or um, so, like face any social media, it's, it's, 
incredible that I think it's actually opened up the avenue. And we actually really do want people who are very passionate about the game. And so it, uh, LinkedIn, oddly enough, is actually like a, a thing because you... It's so many, it's so easy to actually just go find who who worked on this game. What do they do? And just say, and as long as you're, I think you're approaching from a humble place. And it's like, hey, like, love your work. I want to learn more. Most people are actually pretty receptive to that, hmm. which is unheard of. Like before, again, like 20 years ago, like I didn't know who to contact or, you know. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's a lot easier now. That's interesting too. And just sort of be part of that community then if, yeah. if that's what you're interested in. Because I'm sure there are people who are listening who are going to be like, I want to make video games. Um, is there any ever a time in your career journey where you felt like I'm really stuck? It seems like for you it's been moving so fast, but mm. was there ever a time where you're like, you know what, I've been doing the same thing over and over again, drawing the same rocks for three years? <laughs> um, I I hope I'm interpreting the the, the question right, and I, I'm I'm gonna spin it a little bit different. Yeah, go for it. Um, I feel very fortunate that throughout my career there has been always some progress. I I think, um there definitely has been times when I'm like, I, I've hit, I plateaued. I've done this thing, this job. I know it, it feels great when you get to that, that peak. But then I think being self-aware of that and just saying, Hey, and then, then I, I let my managers know, I was like, Hey, like I actually want to grow in another area. Um, and I know that maybe there's not an opportunity for that. Cause like me, like I could be like, Hey, I, I've, I've done art enough. Maybe I want to switch to programming. And I'm like, well, I'm also aware that my programming skills would probably suck. <laughs> so I don't expect them to give me a very high level job. But luckily, my employers have always been very receptive of like when I say, hey, like I, you know, I've done as much as I can on this. And but I want to learn more. And I think when you raise your hand, I think it's always received a little bit better. It's just like they're like, oh, cool. Like you're an awesome employee. So what can we do to make you happy? Uh, and it, it, by no means was it me like saying, hey, I want to leave my current job, but I'm just saying, hey, I'm getting kind of bored a bit. I think it's just really important to like, instead of like looking outside for work is um, A, being self-aware of that. Where If you hit that spot and then letting people know that I don't think every employee can accommodate every <laughs> wish that every employee has. But I think um, if you know what you want, that helps you know, employer a whole lot more and saying, hey, like, I, I want to try this or I think this might be something rewarding. Um, that's probably a bit of advice I'd love to give more more people like don't get stuck just like if you feel that like um, your body's trying to tell you something don't push away those signs hmm. uh, the last thing I want to touch on is is mentorship and you did talk a little bit about how there's always been mentors for you as you've gone along um, have you uh, do you offer yourself out then to be a mentor in your job and what, what who are the mentors that have meant the most to you oh, that's a good question um uh, I think my art teacher when I was probably in elementary was played a pretty pivotal pivotal role, um, and it's not just the skill sets, but also like their personality and their views on life. And um, I look back and I was like, wow, that really shaped my development. Um, and I've always been thankful for for people who've who've taken the time. Um, for me, for me, for my mentorship is um, there's no set. I kind of go by feel and it depends if things are really busy at work, I can't, but when I can, I try to leave the door open. Um, because it is rewarding. Cause I think even, um, when, it, you know, if we circle back talking about luck, I, I do feel like sometimes it's the, the generosity of someone at some point kind of opening that door for me or spending a little bit of time for me. Uh, I think my responsibility will, or my role, if I was, when I was looking for a mentor was, um, 
being eager and showing interest and not just like, you know, <laughs> I want this, you know, give me stuff. <laughs> um, so I had to step up to the plate. Um, but I, it's kind of funny, like that model, like, um, I, I don't, I wish there was more of that in, in every field, whether it's like, you know, business or law, like, I think it's really important to have that and pass on that wisdom and, and experience. And so that the next generation don't have to make the same mistakes and they can do better. And yeah. And to be honest, I think it takes for the mentors. It's really cool because you know, hopefully it's rewarding, but also there is, you're letting go of the ego. You're not like worried. Cause I think some people are like, Oh, like if I train this new person, they're going to like take my job. I was like, no, then you evolve too. Like <laughs> you, um, and at Microsoft, actually one of the great things is we, we had a, we had a switch in CEOs, uh, in the past few years, uh, Satya came in. And so he's really brought in, um, growth mindset and i think that's really important because it's not just like it challenges us to get out of our comfort zones but also just look at the bigger picture and say hey like where do you want to grow into like you can't you maybe don't want to be static and so if you can help the next generation come through and then you know there'll be a spot for you <laughs> like you'll, you'll grow somewhere else does it ever does it ever go back to your time as a ta when you were teaching when you were helping out students that way do you ever think about that because, I mean, I have a big background in teaching, so it always, whenever I'm, you know, in the limited mentorship that I supply, I, it always goes back to teaching for me. I wondered if it did for you, too. Yeah, it does. It does. And, and But it goes back all the way to, like, I don't, I mean, I hadn't really thought about it. it. It can go back all the way to, like, an elementary teacher or junior high teacher, someone who just took a little bit of extra time to foster like seeing an interest in someone whether like hey you're you want to learn this instrument or you want to learn art and seeing that spark in a child like someone young and developing that that is that's so important it's like it's paying it for mm -hmm. um um i do wish that was more prevalent in in our, our culture i guess um there's actually a lot of similarities i think between your TAing students um being involved with you know kids who are interested in the field and they want to get in and also like um, I don't know. It was a stressful time at school, right? And you know, like you, you spend a lot of time, money, and hoping you chose the right path. And and you're like, oh my goodness, now I have to like make a living out of it, and that's scary. So I think it, for me is like trying to ease that. And so when I was TAing, it was a lot of times like, hey, kids, like don't make like just trying to make their life a little bit easier because I didn't. I was like, hey, like you know, when you go through the heart. You, you know, when you go through trials and tribulations yourself, you're like, all right, let, let's make it a little bit easier <laughs> for the next next crop coming in. Um, the one key thing, which is always interesting with, with students, though, when I when, in terms of hiring, though, is also just setting, expectation setting. Because I think um, is giving them that clear path and saying, hey, like, this is where you'll probably start. Totally okay if you want to aim here, but here are the odds or this is the amount of work or this is the amount of years that I'll take to get here. And, and then that's super helpful too. Cause I think sometimes if they aim super high and they don't get there, they get disappointed and, and then they drop out. And when I think back to a lot of actually peers at U of A, when we're graduating, I think we really shot for the stars, but in reality, when you get out, you, you, you start, you know, at the, the, the low jobs. Right. And I saw so many people kind of give up on their careers a bit because they got disappointed that they didn't get there. And I mean like, Hey, look, like, it's kind of like the equivalent of like, again, putting in terms of maybe something that we understand. Like, hey, every kid who plays minor league hockey is not going to get an NHL contract. Everyone who comes out of a music degree is not going to get a number one record. 
mm-hmm. the odds of that. So even with the video game industry, you say, hey, it takes a lot of effort to get there. I think we glamorize a lot we, and we idolize a lot of people now. And so I think one of my, I think my duties and my roles is like just setting realities. Like, hey, that's totally cool. It's a super rewarding career. But that person also, what's probably invisible is like how many years <laughs> that person sunk into it and the natural talent that they have. Um, yeah, so one of the great things talking to students is actually saying, hey, if this is what you want to do, cool. Here are some skill sets that you need. And I give them, and for artists, it's really nice. I just point them to like, here's some portfolios of um, student work on, on their level that I think is good portfolios. And that, that's super helpful because then they can make up their own mind. They're like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I'm either at that level or I, I might need some more work. Yeah, that's excellent. It's time for the lightning round, which is brought, oh. <laughs> which is brought to you by our affinity partner, TD Insurance. Um, so all we do is ask you some questions. I ask you some questions. They're very quick. Uh, just say whatever comes to your mind first. Okay. But if you have to take, there's no rules in the lightning round, even though I say there are. Have you ever been fired? No. Uh, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? First memory was either a fireman or an astronaut. Mm. And when you got to university, what did you want to be? <laughs> <laughs> when I was in engineering, I thought I'd be an engineer, and then um, I didn't know. What's something that you wish people understood about your job? That I actually do work. <laughs> they, I, I travel a lot, and what I don't show is that I'm when I'm overseas, I, I'm working 8 to 10-hour, 12-hour days. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, what advice do you have for someone who feels like they're in a career rut? These are hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think be at peace with themselves. Uh, try to figure out what it is that's bothering them and take the time and understand what their needs are. Talk to people if they have to. What do you think you'd be doing if you weren't in your current job? Or maybe not in video games. What would mm. you be doing? Maybe academia. Ooh. You want a very difficult career path. Academia is <laughs> uh, someone with a PhD in English, let me tell you. <laughs> What's your favorite thing about your job? Um, the people I work with. We get that answer a lot. If you could go back in time and talk to yourself just after you graduated from your undergrad, what would you say? Oh, my goodness. Don't stress it. It's going to work out. It totally will work out. Do not spend all that energy worrying about that. In respect to your education and your career path, is there anything that you wish you had done? No. I think it, it all worked out in the bigger plan. Excellent. Thanks so much, Adrian, for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks to our guest, Adrian Cho, for coming on the show today and talking about his career journey. And as always, a reminder that the best place for alumni to connect with other alumni about jobs, mentorship, or volunteer opportunities is the online platform Switchboard. Try it out for free at uab.ca slash sboard. That's almost it for this episode. Stay tuned for the bonus follow-up interview with Adrian on how his work has changed as a result of the pandemic. For What the Job, I'm Matt Ray. Thanks for listening. Let's just talk a little bit about um, what changed for you guys in terms of um, the steps that you had to take because of COVID at your workplace. Mm. Uh, We all went home. Um, I think for the first few, it was a weird time in the States too. Um, I was, tra- I was traveling a lot in January, February, and even to the early March. And then, um, yeah, I, I did, I, I was down in LA for a bit and then flew up Tuesday night 
and then went back to the office. I was like, you know, I'm really I'm kind of tired of traveling. I'm looking forward to like sitting at the office, getting some work done. And, uh, and the, the, that first day I came back, they're just like, uh, they're like, we hit this point. We, everyone, please go home um, for your own safety and, and for your safety of your coworkers. Uh, I mean, cause it's been in, like, we've been kind of watching it. I, I think, you know, the funny thing was when we did the original call, there were already reports from China about the new, this new virus. Um, and then in the span of from January and February, I was traveling. We obviously had some concerns about traveling, but not to the point of like, you know, lockdowns. And then by March, the day I went back to the office, I got, got to the point where they're just like, Hey, please everyone go home. We don't know when. And it was kind of scary to be honest. Like it was, um, yeah, it was weird. Um, and I think just going through, we talked about this a bit earlier, but it's just interesting. The entire world kind of went through this in different phases. But, um, I think there's a lot of questions, a lot of uncertainty, both your professional life and your personal life. And um, I just didn't know what to do. I, and I think one of the great things Microsoft actually did was they were very transparent and they, uh, they gave us weekly updates. And that was at least reassuring from a very high level. They're just saying, hey, like, here's the things we don't know. <laughs> But here's what we're going to do. And, and this, this is the stuff that we're going to do based on data. And this is where we're collecting the data. And this is what's informing our decisions. And to be honest, that was like, for the first few months, it was actually really reassuring. The emails would come in late at night because they would um, talk about how the entire organization of like our worldwide employees. But it was actually, I, I look back and I was like, that's really reassuring because as we're all trying to figure out, trying to make sense of what's going on. Like, can I get groceries? <laughs> like, uh, what happens if I get sick? Blah, 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 all that stuff. Uh, at least work was the same. They gave us a lot of space and just said, hey, like, take care of yourself. They, they really, really um, emphasized um, uh, personal, like, um, health and just saying, hey, if you're not feeling great, here's some resources. It's also okay. There's no shame involved. And I'll be honest, that, that was actually super helpful because, like, and everyone kind of treat, I think everyone treated it differently. Like there's days where like, I got this, like, this is fine. And then other days, like, I'm not feeling great. And I'm, I'm alone. I'm by myself at, at home. And, but the nice thing was that work was like, hey, if you're like, if you're not feeling okay, just take some time, you know? And, and, and again, they provide a lot of resources. So one of the things that we've done is uh, in our particular studio, and we had this before COVID, but we, we had uh, meditation sessions. We bring in someone. And actually every week, uh, I think it was on, it's on Tuesdays and Tuesdays and Fridays, um, these do some guided meditation. And I was like, <laughs> this helps ground us a bit. So, yeah. And so we've, we've been out of office uh, going on to the fifth month, I think. And I don't think we're expecting to go back um, for a while. And so uh, I've gone back to the office a few times since just to collect my stuff. Um, and it's weird. It's like you, know, you spend so much time there. Um, but then you then we adopted my, my kitchen is now my my office. <laughs> um, it blurs the space between uh, work life and, and personal life though. Um, so it, I think setting boundaries is really important uh, just so you don't get burnt out uh, and you're not working crazy hours. Um, I think the struggle some of the struggle I came through was like feeling productive and also feeling like I was making a contribution because sometimes it just felt like it was such a struggle to like, get up or do something or, or if there wasn't some kind of measurable thing that I did, like, I just felt like, uh, uh, you know, so, and it comes and goes like it, um, you get a better grasp of it. You change your routine, which I think is actually personally pretty awesome. Like we just get a clean slate. 
wipe things clean a bit. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, um, yeah, it's been weird. <laughs> well, totally. I think it's, and it's been weird, so weird for everyone. And if you think about the time shift, if you go back to what was it like in week one compared to what it was like in week 10 and how you've adjusted and how work has changed, I always think that time feels so compressed in these um, in these COVID, COVID times, like, uh, and in the way that it changes. It's like, I don't know, it feels like years compressed into a matter of months. Time's elastic. I feel like there's like it, I think the beginning it felt really slow. I think because not knowing what the path was, and um, we, we chatted. We were chatting earlier about thinking like when I went to leave that day, <laughs> it was like I'll be back in a few weeks. Like <laughs> no big deal. And then I think when it, it starts dawning upon us the reality of the situation, and, and in the states it's been pretty scary seeing the numbers and just seeing like we had it under control for well, I don't know if we ever had it in control like like you know, some lockdowns were helping, but then all of a sudden we, we see spikes in numbers. Um, it's yeah. Um, I, I keep on thinking time was kind of like true detectives, like a disc. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. Time like, is a flat circle. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it went fast and other times it, yeah, it's so slow, but now that I think we've, hopefully we've gone into a bit more of a rhythm of breaking free of that routine that we had, um, or nine to five, um, I'm hoping all of us have kind of adjusted and been, been a little bit more fluid. And I think that's been a great thing where we kind of, like I really value when I work, I re I'm really focused, but then um, when I'm not working, I, I take a lot, like I just do a lot of things to, to keep the mental health. Like I go out, take pictures, I go for walks, I go, um, I, I walk around my community a lot. I, I, I'm learning more about my neighbors and where I live. And this, that's been really great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've, had the, I've had the same experience, to be honest, because um, just walking around, I talk to so many more people in my neighborhood you know, you get to know your community, which is awesome. And there's a lot of uh, benefits that I think people didn't realize. Um, one thing that I'm interested in about is uh, just in terms of your specific field of work and like making video games and Microsoft, has it changed the way that you guys, have you had to delay projects? Have people had to really adjust? Does it matter if you're all in the same environment to make it? Or have you found that you know, these teams can work kind of separately and connect using technology. I would imagine a video game company would uh, be, oh, especially Microsoft, would be all like the cutting edge of how to communicate remotely through technology. We were kind of set up to do remote work in a way, uh, but we weren't maybe, um, this really accelerated things. And I think almost a lot of industries kind of had that wake up call where just like, oh, if we can't be in the physical space, how can we do? So we, I think like with a lot of, like with a lot of employment, we just adjusted and um, some things like, you know, a little bit bumpy at first, but I think we've gone to a pretty good groove. Um, my, my personal role is actually working with external teams. So luckily that actually hasn't really changed that much. In fact, it showed the importance of laying down that foundation and having, um, having like I was, we were already focused on like, how do we spin up and keep teams working remotely in different time zones? And so that really just emphasized the importance of that. So that I think I had two perspectives. We have our internal team just migrating everyone offsite from, from the offices and into their homes. And that of course caused some logistical issues. And I think our team did fantastic setting everyone up. And then we also have a lot of remote teams and remote teams, if anything, I think there's actually a lot more empathy about what it is to, to work offsite remote. And so I, 
that was a really good thing. Like, I think we, we were just being aware. It was like, oh, like if you're not <laughs> on site, this is what the experience is like. Um, and so I think we're learning and growing. Um, and yeah, we're kind of just chugging along. Yes. Um, we've never, the, the interesting thing is we, I've never, um, I've never what we call closed out a game. We're really close to finishing our project right now. Um, I think everyone on our, t- a lot of people on our team, we've never done this before. So this is really kind of unprecedented. So. Yeah, I was going to say, like, are you guys busier than than ever? Because I know when COVID hit for me in communications, I found it's been like the busiest time of my career. We we, we were, um, even, like, let's just say if, if COVID didn't happen, we, we were heading into a really busy year to begin with. So I think the challenges that we're facing now are even harder. It makes it a lot harder because we can't collaborate and be um, on site together. But again, we found different ways to communicate and work together as a team. Um, so it was a busy, we, we, we were having a phenomenally busy year anyways. Um, and then, so this was just um, a challenge that <laughs> we had to go work together. And yeah, miraculously, um, yeah, I'm really surprised by, by how we've kind of come together. Do you think there's going to be changes that will stay? Do you think things that have changed, uh, and I mean in the industry as a whole, but it could be specific to you guys, do you think more people will work remotely in your field or um, are there any specific changes that have come out of this to the way people work in video games that you think might last? I think so. I really do. Um, it's hard not to compare back to all a lot of industries, but I think we're starting to evaluate. Um, I mean, just me, sorry, this is more of a personal things you evaluate how you use your time and and how and how effective you are where you know and so i feel like i'm a lot more focused when during my work hours and then i can get a lot of stuff done and then um but i love uh i think one of the great things is i'm not commuting um so i, I get back some time time has actually become i think one of the most precious things in the last i mean the last few months um how you use that time as a commodity it's, it's huge and so um, I think this is, uh, while, <laughs> while kind of unexpected, the world is now in a, in a space where we kind of evaluate, like, how do we want to spend our time? And I think a lot, I, I do think there's going to be, um, I don't think we will, it'll be a while if we ever go back to the, that old model. Um, but it's exciting to kind of think about the possibilities of how can we still work together and collaborate, uh, but maybe we're not in the same space all, all the time. I remember when you when I interviewed you and I was talking about, you know, how do young people that are really passionate about video games um, get into the field? And you were talking about how they have access to things. There's First of all, there's like courses now that exist uh, for video game design and things like that. But also there's you have access to like the Unreal Engine and things like that. And I wonder how many people that are like out of school right now with nothing to do are kind of taking up the hobby and trying to make a career out of it. I'll be curious to see what kind of creative work comes out of this. Oh yeah. I mean, this is the interesting thing. Like, um, I think online classes and courses and educating ourselves, it's a wonderful time to do that, um, right now. Um, and, um, I'm actually still working with students. We're, we're, um, we're bringing, we brought on one over the summer and then we actually delayed the start for, um, some of our, um, our summer associates until the fall because at that time we actually thought we there might be a chance that we're actually back in the office um and of course right now we're kind of thinking that's probably unlikely um but um there's still a ton of opportunities i actually just encourage anyone if they're just like hey i don't know what to do (laughs) which are bored like go take class it's like 
I, I've been finding it's actually been meditative. It's really been great to actually have some kind of focus and you know, you're, you're just um, benefiting yourself. You're kind of educating yourself and expanding your mind. And to be honest, it's also, I'm going to use it. It is a bit of a distraction. Like I'm focused on that subject matter, but I'm distracted from maybe some of the, all, all the other stuff that's happening outside the world that's out of my control. So I can just say, hey, I'm going to pick up this new skill set or I'm going to focus on this. And I think that's been great. 